Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. Welcome back to the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. It's time for the Christmas markets again. I haven't seen Christmas markets proper in Europe for a couple years now, but they're open now here in Wrocław, and it's really, really awesome. They have really great uh, structures set up. Uh, it really gets you in the Christmas spirit. You got the glue vine, you got the sausages, you got... It's just like cheese thing. It's really cool. They put cheese on a grill. They put marmalade on it. And that's pretty good. And all kinds of delicious things that aren't good for you, but are definitely good for the spirit uh, of the Christmas season. Um, so I'll be going to that between now and so the 22nd of December, I think, is when they close, which is a shame because it'd be cool on the day of Christmas to go to a Christmas market. But... Of course, the good people working there also want to enjoy their time with their families. I won't be going home to uh, the States for Christmas, but uh, I hope to have a good time here in Europe in some way, shape, or form. Um, last night, I was I was looking back at this photo of myself. Uh, that sounds really narcissistic anyway. Um, I was just going through my Instagram from like 2014. There's this photo of me and uh, Mr. Charles Bradley. Now, for those of you who don't know, Charles Bradley was a soul singer. He uh, passed away recently in uh, the end of September. And he's, he's a very special person. He, uh, I first discovered him, well, I heard his name at the Firefly Festival, the first Firefly Festival in back home in Dover, Delaware, and he was one of the uh, artists on the lineup on the first Firefly Festival. I don't know who I was seeing instead, but I saw the name Charles Bradley and his Extraordinaires, and my friends who did see him, they were blown away. Uh, they just could, had, could not have better things to say about him, and I, I uh, got interested, didn't really look him up, but at some point... Uh, couple years later, looked into Charles Bradley, and uh, he's he used to be sort of a James Brown cover impersonator, but, you know, he had his own music as well, but never really made it big. Always sort of, I mean, if you, if you look into his past, there's a documentary about him. It's called Soul of America. It's the story of Charles Bradley and the release of his first album. And if you watch that, he... You see how he was in a condition of just absolute poverty in living in the projects in Brooklyn, New York. And this was the case uh, until, well, he traveled a bit around the U.S. trying to make it, but never happened. Uh, always uh, coming back to take care of his mother. Yeah, couldn't read until uh, he had lessons uh, after after he was picked up by Daptone Records. Um, and... Yeah, just if you watch the movie, he's he's had a really tough life, and it's not until sixty one, sixty two years old that he released his first album in uh, twenty eleven, and so I actually saw that he was on the lineup in twenty fourteen for the Primavera Sound Festival in Barcelona. So I was traveling in Europe at the time, and Barcelona went down to my uh, list of places to go and coinciding with the Primavera Sound Festival. Uh, 
um, and I really got into listening to him, and it's just really incredible, heartfelt music that uh, I think on the record it, it shows, but it's not until you see him live that it's incredible. But anyway, I uh, the day of the first day of the festival, so the first day is actually a smaller sort of situation. Nothing really starts until uh, later in the day, and then um, there's only a few artists all playing on one stage. Uh, that day was actually pretty cool because there's a lot of uh, bands that I actually discovered and they're pretty pretty good. There's Temples, I remember seeing Temples, which uh, they're pretty good, big now. And then um, I remember right after Temples, they so they will go off stage and uh, most of the, a lot of people in the front move out you know, as, as as it happens at concerts, they they moved away from the front, and then I moved forward, and right behind me, all these people <laughs> with Belgian flags start moving their their selves up forward. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Who who's this next act? And what's up with all these Belgian flags? And it was this artist named Stromae, who is a Belgian uh, singer who. Um, I don't know how to describe him. Very dancey music. He was, he's been he's been uh, sampled by Kanye West. But yeah, yeah, like Euro dance music and very great stage presence. And if I didn't know who Stromae was before, I knew who he was after because I just I just love it when I discover new musicians live. That's that's how I discovered LCD Sound System. Actually, was uh, I had never heard them before. I've heard of them, but not. I didn't really know them that at, at all uh, until I saw them live at Virgin Free Fest in I think it was 2011, something like that. But anyway, before the festival uh, in, in Barcelona, before Primavera Sound, the first day, my friend and I were having uh, having lunch, having a coffee at a cafe right outside of uh, Parc del Forum, which is where the the festival takes place, and and I. I I'm having a plate of pasta, and and I see, <laughs> I see. To me, it was just I was ninety percent sure this is Charles Bradley who walked in and asked to go use the bathroom. And so he walks in, goes to the bathroom, and I'm, I turn to my friend. I'm like, "Was that Charles Bradley?" And he's like, "Who's Charles Bradley?" And I was like, "I think that's Charles Bradley." And when when he came out, I stood up, I walked to I walked to him, and I said, "Hey, Charles, how are you?" And he's like. So, oh, how are you doing? He he just kind of felt like like he already knew me. Like there's something, there's just so much love. Like right off the right off the bat, and he gave me a big hug, and I asked for a picture. He was very gracious to take this picture with me, and um, and then we actually walked together to the festival grounds. So it was me, my friend Charles Bradley, and Charles Bradley's like handler, manager, like sort of some dude with was with him. I don't know his band wasn't with him, but. That was really cool. And then, I actually wasn't even planning to see Charles Bradley uh, at the festival because Arcade Fire was at the same time. So I go to the stage for Arcade Fire to wait, and it's just so many people, unbelievable numbers of people trying to see Arcade Fire. This is a year after, and just a few months actually, after Reflector was released. So it's just all these people wanting to see Arcade Fire, and I said, fuck it, I'm going to go. Uh, walk over to the stage where Charles Bradley will be playing. Take a look, <clears throat> and there was nobody waiting. It was just 
I remember these like really cool like spotlights that were on the ground. It looked like the the ground was polka dots. And so I went front and center of the stage and sat down by myself for a while and just people watched. And actually it was very nice, a nice little break during the festival. And uh and then people started arriving, I actually started making friends with people sitting around. And uh eventually uh it was just a massive, massive crowd, but I was front and center, that was great. And Charles Bradley's band starts playing, and then finally, uh, the Screaming Eagle of Soul himself comes up on stage. And the performance is, I would describe his performances as a religious experience, as close to a sort of uh, going to a really passionate uh, church, uh, church gathering or something. Uh, because you really do feel like there's something special. Uh, there's an, some sort of transcendental, uh, maybe being, or some sort of transcendental. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> just something, just uh, above what you are, above above what you see in normal reality. Just very, just so much passion, so much emotion, and so much uh, inspiration from this guy who has has had such a tough life and just kept plugging away it's that's the the takeaway of charles bradley seeing charles bradley live and hearing what he has to say how much love he has for everybody is just how beautiful life is and 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 how how much you can get out of putting putting it all in if that makes sense but anyway yeah last night i was I was uh, looking at this photo, and I go on on YouTube, and and there's a there's a whole concert v uh, video of the whole of the whole set, 40 minutes or so, of uh, Charles Bradley set at Primavera Sound in 2014, Barcelona, and I distinctly remember. So there's like a couple shots of me in the front, actually, uh, from from the stage camera facing from from behind the organ player. And I distinctly remember, hey, if at the end of the concert, uh, there's this moment where Charles goes down into the crowd and just hugs everybody. I must be in that video because I give him a great big hug. I remember how fucking sweaty his back was. And uh, so I fast forward to the end. And so he jumps down and starts hugging everybody. And there I am right at the gate where they, they, they actually can open that metal barrier. So that's the they they open it there. I'm standing there. I move out of the way and immediately give Charles a great big hug. And it, I I do remember him looking at me like, oh, I remember you from the cafe. I'm not a hundred percent sure. There's no way I can verify that. But uh, but that's how I felt. And he's has loves love. He has love for for each and every person that he meets. And I don't think he he, he forgets that easily. Um, so, yeah, that's Charles Bradley. If you haven't heard of him, hop on Spotify or hop on YouTube. Give him a listen. YouTube probably better because you can you can take a look at his uh, live performances. But just a really amazing person that I've had uh, twice the privilege of seeing. I saw him last year in Santa Cruz as well, and he was just as tremendous. So rest easy out there, Charles. Yeah, so hope you liked that story.
and uh, I hope you also enjoy this week's episode with my friend Ninu Erkala. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Fun Boat Diplomacy podcast I have here today, Ninu Erkila, welcome. Thank you. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Ninu, uh, coming from Finland. Um, I'm actually taking part of the Erasmus Mundus program. Uh, this is my second year now in here, Poland, Wroclaw. Um, it's not the first time abroad though, I've been living around different countries, different continents for more than six years now. And always like just bypassing Finland quickly and continuing to the next one. Um, but this is going to be my last year of study. So it's going to be also interesting time for the future on because um, I have to decide where I want to work, where I could maybe settle down a bit because also like the six years has been quite a lot of moving around. So I'm like a little bit missing this one place where I could call home. Do you, yeah. do you consider staying in a place a year calling that home? Um, or is it still, you still have the momentum of, of, uh, of motion still from the six years? In a way, like now I can, for example, call Wroclaw my home because I have uh, I have a cool group of people around me and I, I consider them my home in a way. But in a way it's not home because like I know that those people are not gonna stay here. They're gonna also move around and um, if I come here back in two years, it will be a totally different experience because nobody will be here anymore. So if you think about the concept of home, I think that's something you want to return and like not everything has been changed. So in a way, I wouldn't call these places my actual home. Uh, that's Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it because I, I feel the same in the past like six years as well. Just moving around a lot and... Uh, I do notice when I go back to those places, it's not exactly the same because the people are very important. Yeah. And if they're not there, it's it's not the same place. I totally agree. But but I I, I don't know because I think of it in time blocks. Uh, a year to me is a long time, and so if I stay in a place for a year, then it becomes my home. But then I I'm not thinking. I haven't think of, thought about it as a if I leave and then come back and it's not the same, then it's not home anymore. Hmm. So it's, yeah, that's an important, when I go home to where I live, then it's, they're, they're all the same. Everyone's more or less unchanged, not moved around. Yeah. And then if I were to go to Lisbon, for example, there's some people still there, but the people who I did Erasmus with, they're not there anymore. Yeah. So it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I agree. Where, where, where did you go in the past six years? Um, uh, I've been studying quite a long time. I've been like, basically, that's also one major difference when it comes to Finland. Like in Finland, you start your studies when you're quite old already and you usually take a long time to finish, but that's also because we never really only study. So we take internships or a lot of people just work while they are studying. So I've been like, um, living in South Africa, Indonesia, in Vienna, 
And now when I decided to take part of this program, I knew that I'm going to I'm going to stay to other new places I have never lived before. So last year was in Leipzig, Germany, and now here in Poland. The I was I was doing some research on my own and I was learning a little bit about the Finnish education system, how mm. it's considered in some ways the best in the world. Mm. Like do you want to explain that a bit? Yeah, so, well, I think it all started, all this hype behind it started when they started to make these PISA studies. So that PISA study, I am not an expert, but what I know about it is that they are collecting wide amount of data from different parts of the world and um, they compare them together. I think uh, the PISA research is done um around students or pupils who are like 15 year old and then they kind of like yeah they're like measuring the data and see like which nation or which national education is doing the best results and it was also a surprise for Finland how well we have been performing in this study and it has been quite consistent so we've been almost always in the top three and it there is not just one study but it's like uh, measuring different subjects like math and literature and like every year i think there is like a different uh, emphasis on the study but what has been remarkable in finland that they their students always made very good results in every subject there are countries i think in many parts of asia there are like people and i mean students who who make very good grades on math, but then they they get very bad grades on grades on literature or something else. But in Finland, what was yeah so remarkable was that like you the pupils are performing so well in every aspect. What is it that makes it so unique? Makes it so effective? You think? Well, if you think about the other countries that are performing very well, for example, Singapore, um, that kind of uh, education culture is very different compared to Finland. Uh, Finland, um, the kids start their school only when they're seven years old. So there is no primary education before that. That means that you don't have to participate to any kind of kindergarten or anything before you're seven years old. The idea behind it is that, um, like in Finland, citizens believe that like kids should be kids as long as possible so they should be right to have this freedom when they're still small children freedom to play to experience and like to enjoy themselves and not um not put a lot of pressure of like trying to make them to become something because the whole the rest of your life you are it's about achieving mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah, that's really, it reminds me of this, do you know who Alan Watts is? Uh, yeah, maybe you can like... Yeah, he was a, a sort of philosopher who leaned more Eastern mm. in the 60s, and he was living around the Bay Area in California, and he, so he em embraces and teaches these concepts uh, from the Eastern tradition, and one of the things, what is his famous lectures, uh, 
he did like hour long, two hour long lectures, but one short snip of it has to do with the idea of uh, you in Western tradition, we're always trying to go towards an end. There's a goal always, and you keep you keep looking forward to the goal. So you have a child, and you have them go from primary school, and the goal is kindergarten, and then kindergarten's goal is first grade all the way through to high school, uh, middle school, high school, university, graduate school, PhD, and then. And then you get to go to work. And then when you get to go to work, there's a quota for your for your uh, your career. You have to achieve this many uh, whatever measurements, and then this many. And then suddenly, when you retire, you're supposed to have gotten there. Yeah. Sixty five. I got there, and then and then you look at you what what happened. You yeah. you missed your life. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, of course, it's not that uh, black and white. It's not like you you weren't paying attention to anything. But uh, for some people, they might feel that way at the end. Yeah. And so that's I guess that's how the Finnish system works. You, that's very it's, true. It's about it's about uh, like uh, living the life, experiencing the inputs, and not just looking towards the future. Yeah, actually, like the the main principle behind our education, the primary education, is to um, make happy citizens and people who know what to do with information. So you can provide people a lot of information, but if they don't know how to handle it, the information means nothing. And I think that's very big part of our current. Uh, life like we're there's so many so much information like all the time in front of our eyes every day that it's really hard to make sense of it and that's one big part of the our education is like to think yourself also um, our education system is like um, trying to minimize all kind of comparing so for example we don't have tests uh, we don't really get grades. When I was still in the school, that was in the 90s, and it was more traditional, but now it has become more and more like this test-free and like no comparison between the students. And, um, and more like um, now actually the latest, um, latest transformation, what they wanted to do was that they want to get rid of the subjects so you don't have math anymore or you don't have uh, literature anymore, but you have topics. Let's take like uh, global warming. And then you work on that around that topic, uh, training your literature skills, your math skills, like everything is around the topic. It's going to be very interesting how the results going to turn out because it's very big transformation and it's also very... It's a bit scary because nobody knows if it's going to get any better or worse. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, but the idea behind it was that like our world is changing so fast that like also the education needs to change. And um, it doesn't make sense to stick in one thing that was efficient 50 years ago. Why not to try something new? And then you, mm -hmm. you would then, then retake this kind of tests to measure if they perform well in math and science, right? I, I actually have to say, I don't know how it's going to work in the end. Obviously, at some point there will be um, like some uh, grading. Um, like when you when we enter to high school, you, you enter to high school when you're 16 to 18. 
and um, and then it's getting more towards this traditional learning. So, yeah. So, is there is there a uh, it has this drawn on, for example, Montessori schools and mm. uh, who is it? Uh, what are the Waldorf schools? Mm. It's a, do you think that the Finns took something from? Probably, from and I mean, because um, they also don't have grades. So, yes, <laughs> and then it's all about playing. It's about uh, just children discovering, which yeah. I think is really cool. Yeah, and um, like there was a when when this all started, that was um, around mid seventies, I think, uh, when they the condition of the Finnish education was was actually very bad, and then the people in the government decided that something needs to, do, needs to be done. And they made a lot of research also, uh, for example, in Eastern Germany. And they took quite many things that were existing in Eastern Germany and they copied to Finland, which sounds actually now when you think it like retrospectively, sounds kind of funny. Yeah. But uh, for example, Eastern Germany was mm, um, offering uh, free meals at school and you can get that in Finland as well. That actually happened already before, but yeah, let's not go there. But there, like, uh, I think that the um, education system you, we know nowadays has been getting a lot of influence around the world. So it just didn't all of a sudden appear. It it was of of course like a combination of a lot of things. I want to ask what kind of meals are provided at school because I'm thinking about what we had. Yeah. And it's a disaster. And yeah. I had it for, <laughs> I had it for twelve years of just. I'll I'll tell you what what is but what is it that uh, that you have would have a typical child would have in Finland for yeah. for school. So wow. actually, there is a law about it. So yeah. every meal has to meet uh, requirements, and the requirements means that every meal has to have enough nutrition. So no sugar, no 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 health, unhealthy fat, but very it has to be um, always salad. So in every meal you have. It's consisting of partly salad um, and partly some protein, meat, and some, of, co of course, some carbs. And um, then you have always um, rye bread, which is very healthy, and usually um, milk as a drink. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we have. So if you imagine the way that American industrial agriculture is, that's the product of that is what we would eat. Yeah. So we had, uh, well, everything's fried <laughs> and you have like chicken nuggets, French fries all the time. Uh, you dip it in ketchup. You have these, uh, every Friday was this disgusting pizza. And then you had the milk was, I mean, I don't know how much you know about the, how milk is produced in the United States, but you basically, you, you go, it goes through this process from the cow to the, to the carton and it just it it kills all the nutrients. Mm. Everything is sterilized so yeah. that everything is basically dead. Everything that was good about cow milk yeah. is dead, and we get that. And it's not just cow milk. Uh, if you get the white milk or the chocolate milk, we have chocolate milk, and <laughs> and also strawberry milk. It had so much sugar. I I I'm I would be so scared to pick up a, a carton of chocolate milk and look at how much sugar there is today yeah. because I had it every day for five days a week. Uh, during school the school year for twelve years, and it's it's so scary how that that that's what we we have our children 
consume,、yeah. and then after lunch you go back to the classroom. This boring, stupid structure of of learning, and you expect them to stay awake, yeah, <laughs> and pay attention to the subject matter. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a disaster. Yeah. Okay. Now we do want to turn to、uh, the social structure, not、mm-hmm. just education, but.、Mm-hmm. The social structure of Finland. If you want to explain a bit from、yeah. how how what whatever you think is important. Yeah, well, it's a very very big topic. Obviously,、um, Finland belongs to the Nordic welfare state model, and、um, what it means it's like basically the same kind of structure of the welfare is applying for all the Nordic countries, including like Norway, Sweden, and Denmark.、Um, In every country, there are some differences. Obviously, I come from Finland, and I never lived in any other Nordic country, so I am I'm not an expert on this. But I know that、um, this model has a lot of similarities between the countries.、Um, although this model has been like it, it was developed in the sixties in almost in every country, and.、Um, And the model was—it、um, was not like a clear idea what people wanted to do back then, but it was like a result of a lot of political negotiations. And、um, what happened in Finland back then? We suffered a lot in the war, and we needed to pay back the war reparations for、um, for Soviet Union. And That was also helping Finland at the same time because it helped to develop the industry. And、um, we were like almost having like a full、uh, employment rate, so everybody.、Uh, it was we call it like a rebuilding the society time.、Um, a lot of kids were born because of the war was ended, and people finally had time to make kids.、Mm. Um, but there was it was clear that like.、Um, A new kind of things was needed. There, there was very big need for the healthcare system because almost all the women started to work. So obviously, somebody needed to take off the kids. So、um, the and at the same time, the the idea of the education was developing.、Um, nowadays.、Um, If you think about the the Nordic welfare system, is、um, it's leaning on the public sector. So the public sector is providing most of the good we have. So and、um, the public sector means high taxation. That's like the thing people usually know about the Scandinavia. Is the, that the、yeah. average tax rate? It's for income. Is it's is it more than fifty? Is forty? Um, I would say. Average is probably between thirty and forty.、Okay. There is also a lot of like misinformation. So、um, I hear a lot like, "Oh, you have this taxation where you have to pay like eighty percent of the taxes," but that's not true. So the highest tax rate I think you can have in Finland is around fifty. Obviously, it's very high, yeah. <laughs> but、um, yeah. So、um, it's.、Uh, Uh, it's based on the idea of equality. So basically,、um, the idea behind it is that if if you take、um, as an example, as a counter example, United States, where the highest value of the society is the freedom, 
So in Scandinavia, freedom is uh, understood in a different way. So freedom is not an absolute value, but freedom is something everybody should have. But the state should be the provider so that individual can use the freedom. So state needs to secure people or the citizens so that they would be able to perform in life as good as possible, if that makes sense. So I get the I get the line of thinking because that's what all uh, more left leaning mm. uh, people will, will argue about uh, about moving towards more mm. of a socialist system. Uh, my issue with that would be that it's not that freedom isn't free. It's someone has to pay for mm. that, uh, and the way that that the state works is that it will. Uh, use it was it will force someone to give up some wealth and uh, and or some value mm. and redistribute it yeah and um, that that is the Violating that's the freedom. issue yeah, yeah that's the issue is that mm. it's people that's because mm. the state's not really a thing the state mm. is uh, these people and they somehow have the legitimacy let's call it to confiscate mm. from here and then redistribute it to everyone else. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, did, do people feel that they are volu kind of voluntarily contributing in Finland? Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's the sense I get, is yeah. that it's like, uh, the more I make, mm. uh, actually it's okay that I have my wealth yeah. taken away and redistributed. And I have a question, is is it, how, how efficiently is it redistributed, do you think? Because the there's a this this economist uh, Thomas Sowell who he draws the, the 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 problem is people think that they can have free education, free health care, like for all these free benefits, and also pay for the bureaucracy mm. that goes to administering yeah. these. That's just an extra cost if you really just uh, do it by the net worth. Yeah. Uh, how is how efficiently how well is that done mm. well um obviously i can give just my personal opinion but um if you think about it um the the quality of the um services we get back needs to be high enough that people voluntarily want to join this exactly yeah so if the quality would be shit uh, I don't think a lot of people would tolerate it anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea behind it is that like the quality of the services we get back needs to be high enough to be able to maintain the system. Uh, my opinion is that like uh, the quality of education is amazingly good. If you think about it, that uh, we year after year we, in the global standards we meet the requirements of the highest scores. Um, also, I have to mention for the people who maybe don't know that like the all the education is for free, obviously. Um, so is healthcare, not completely free, but it's very very small amount of money you have to pay for it. Um, so the main, I would say, the biggest. Um, Cost what this this kind of social structure is causing is that um, education takes 
a lot of, of the budget. Also maintaining the healthcare, which is very high standard as well. And one of the biggest one is the national pension insurance. So basically everybody who ever works in Finland, you from every salary they take a part for the um now I'm maybe lacking the English words, but like um for a national pension fund foundation. Yeah, we have it too. Yeah. yeah. I think that's very global thing. Uh, the way it's organized, there is like some differences between the countries. In Finland, those those um, those funds are. Um, let me think about the word. So, they are in they are in different kind of investments, and um, and basically, that takes the biggest part of the budget, especially now when we have aging population. And Finland is definitely definitely needing more taxpayers at the moment, and that's going to be a huge issue in the in the near future. Doesn't doesn't that make it? <laughs> I mean, uh, for years you've had mm. these benefits, and we see it in so many countries like Japan. Mm. Uh, you have a lo- slowing birth rate, mm. and then the older generation is now coming to collect. Yes, and so. Uh, is would you say it's it's such a it would be such a disaster that you, sh- you could have avoided it in the beginning by not promising these things? I wouldn't say it's a disaster because these calculations that this was known already in the sixties. So the calculations made in the sixties was counting the fact that this will happen. Okay. So it was taken into account when they were funding this, uh, when they were like founding the system. Uh, but obviously, you can never predict like fifty years ahead. So there was, will be always like recessions. There will be always like things that you cannot control. Nobody can predict the future. So um, nobody could predict that Finland is part of the European Union back then. So uh, obviously, y- you cannot control everything and that's definitely the biggest challenge we're gonna face in next 20 years um yeah for for us the we have social security and everyone who earns a paycheck mm. has on their paycheck how much went to social security mm. it infuriates me every time because uh they when they promised it in ni- in the 1940s it was during the war with franklin roosevelt he promised this idea of social security what we're going to do is we're going to take this money and the state will confiscate it. And then they um, they say we're going to protect it in this lockbox. It's not going anywhere. And I think sometime in the 80s or 90s, they opened that up and they said, where did all this money go? It's it, it's not there. They spent it. Oh, really? It's gone. We don't know. We don't know. We have no idea yeah. where it went. And yeah. now the same problem, the generation, yeah. the generational uh, spike in the, f- like after the war, yeah. in the 50s, 60s. That generation's coming to collect, yeah, and that's why they keep have to playing. They have to do a couple things. They keep playing this game of pushing retirement. So now it's sixty seven mm. instead of sixty five, yeah. And then another thing that they're doing, it's very easy. Uh, the people who pay for it are are the people who hold dollars. They just print more money, yeah. And that's that's a disaster. Yeah. And not only that, but for all these other things, all yeah. these range of things that they have to pay for, yeah. Um, they just print money. I don't know. Does, what, how is it in? Finland, do they do they use the euro? Yes, so we are part of the monetary uh, union as okay. well. Okay, so how do you see that affecting 
uh, spending in Finland? Well, that's a whole another discussion. <laughs> uh, I wanted to uh, mention before that that um, like this kind of system that we were talking about, this Nordic welfare model, that requires a lot of transparency. So that kind of thing that happened in US mm -hmm. would, I, I wouldn't say it cannot happen, but it's very tricky to implement that kind of thing in Finland. That also comes to the fact that we are a very small nation. We are only 5 million people and it's much easier to control 5 million people than any bigger state. Uh, but yeah, so like this kind of system we are having at the moment requires transparency and a lot of trust, trust among the people that they believe in the system. If people don't believe anymore, then we are in trouble. Okay. Yeah. yeah but... We don't believe in our system. Yeah. <laughs> At least I don't. Uh, yeah. I think, I think a lot of people have some sort of uh, they they're displeased, but they think, mm -hmm. oh, we can, we can fix this. But yeah. but the way I see it is, uh, is that, we, for example, I can have. There's so many examples, but for example, the Department of Education has SWAT teams. So they can go in and do whatever, they can do raids. I don't know what they do raids for, but why should the Department of Education be armed? Oh. How, how creepy is that? Yeah. So this is something that uh, it's, it's irretrievably, uh, I can't, there's no way I can trust it yeah. unless it shrinks. Yeah. It's, it's just so big that, uh, that there's so, such, so many unnecessary parts of it. Yeah. I don't know, do you feel that way about the Finnish system at all? Is there something that uh, needs to go, or in you, or you wonder why why this exists this mm. way? There, there is a big transformation going on at the moment, uh, which is very, very hard to implement. But um, something needs to be done. So we are facing the problem, as talked before, that um, the whole whole system is too costly like it's like it takes too much money from the national budget and and something needs to be done so at the moment they are doing um like a social and healthcare um transform um they're trying to make the services they're providing now more efficient partly privatizing uh, so obviously in this new world order where it's like much more uh, global and like one markets and like everything, you have to adjust. So you cannot live in this a nice bubble you were in 80s. Mm -hmm. You have to adjust. And, and one part of the reform is also the very interesting trial we, trial we are having at the moment. Uh, it's about basic income yeah i watched a video about that yeah. yesterday yeah it's one of the first ones in the world that the idea of basic income is actually quite old so it's not a new idea but um i think it's one of the first times um it's they're trying to um trying like at the moment there is like two two thousand people which is very small person but you have to start from somewhere who are receiving now basic income, those people are unemployed. Some of them have been unemployed for a long time. And the idea is now to, to figure out what the, like, the basic income will do for the unemployment. Because 
um, Finland has is suffering from the structural structural unemployment at the moment quite heavily, and there is like there are some problems that are because that that, that are causing um, this unemployment because of the structure. So um, the system needs to be changed somehow, but nobody really knows how. Obviously, so you have to try something. So maybe um, I think the trial will take like two years. It started last year and maybe after a couple of years, we get some results like how how efficient it was or did it actually decrease unemployment. Already now we know that a lot of people when they are receiving the um, basic income they they're much more they feel much more safe to try for example entrepreneurship so it's like a, um it gives you more opportunities to to yeah to fix your situation and like new opportunities to get out of the unemployment they were at the moment yeah so in the video i watched uh, this guy he was trying all kinds of new businesses yeah. because he had he had two kids, three kids, two, yeah. three kids, and the basic income's not much. It's no. like six hundred dollars yeah. or something. Yeah. And then I want to ask how how much cost of living is in Finland to give an idea of like how much goods cost. Yeah, that's also a complicated issue because uh, if you live in Helsinki area, that's probably like three times more expensive than if you live in the countryside somewhere like in the central Finland. Um, those people who are taking part of the trial, they were, they made like a lottery, so they were like randomly picked persons around Finland. What? Like, wait, so you you were in a lot? They they did a lottery system to see yeah. how much how, who gets this money? Yes. So, but it was not like you uh, like joined the lottery. It was they randomly pick people who were who they knew they're unemployed. Who are eligible? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> And do you find that a fair, a fair concept to to give uh, a basic income to to people? Um, that's also a discussion that is going on at the moment, because a lot of people think that there should be some kind of return, um, some kind of effort, something they have to do in order to get this money. So that that the there there is a big discussion. Like I would say. Uh, there are big part of the people who thinks um, like money without any kind of return uh, is never gonna be a solution. But then there are people who think that like the society should be, I would say, a bit idealistically thinking that the society should be the um, the provider of the welfare as it is now but in a way that like um that it doesn't require so much effort from a person um the whole idea behind the national i mean the basic income is very complex because the money needs to come from somewhere and obviously the money is taking from the budget of the national uh, spendings so um it's gonna be if, if it would be implemented in a national level it will be very very uh 
expensive, but so is our system now. So you have to measure the 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 good, like the pros and cons, and the the benefits, and that's why I think more research around this is needed. Yeah, because it, yeah. I don't see it as a well the way that you're describing how much what I saw in the video is that people are trying new things yeah. and trying to yeah. uh, stimulate growth. Yeah. But yeah, if you were to do it across the entire country, it's like uh, it's like imagining that everyone gets a, a basic income. So it's mm -hmm. like it's like you're sitting in a bucket and trying to pick up the bucket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh, it doesn't really work. Um, yeah. And wouldn't it be more if 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 you're going to go in the direction of growth by government spending, which I don't really think works so well in the long run. Uh, wouldn't it be better for the government just to invest in businesses? Mm. Well, that's a good good question as well. Um, obviously, they're trying to do it now, and um, there is like a big big um, hype around startup scene. Uh, oh, yeah, and there's right. a, yeah in, in Helsinki, yeah. It's, a, it's one of the capitals of, of, of the tech startups. startups so. Yeah. So um, <coughs> there is like a lot of different uh, things going on at the same time. Uh, I think that's only positive, um, positive thing in our society. So it, it probably will be as diverse as it as it is now, like also in the future. So the this kind of like um, I think like the idea of like a welfare state is so deeply rooted in the Finnish um, Finnish. Um, Society, values, yeah. values, society. So I don't think that kind of thinking will never go away from fashion. People really appreciate what they already got. But uh, at the same time, it's very well understood that there needs to be a childity, you know, there needs to be ways to cope with the ever-changing world. Because the world is changing, changing much, much faster than it's possible to, stay, uh, to change the structures of the society. And this is like true for every society, no matter what kind of system they have behind. Yeah. And what, how is the startup scene right now in, in, uh, in Finland? Have they, are there products that we know that are famous now? Well, there is like, a, I think the most famous uh, industry around the startups scene is um, gaming. Okay. There, there are a lot of gaming. Um, everybody knows Angry Birds. Oh, that's from? That's from Finland, okay. yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And um, so like mobile gaming, mobile apps, things mobile like apps. Yeah. And the, this is, of course, we like another product everybody knows is Nokia and Nokia the story of Nokia came to an end in a way, but obviously the knowledge behind it never disappeared. And now it's just redistributed like in another, other, yeah. Other companies. Yes. So uh, as I understood what I saw yesterday was that it's, there was the iPhone, <laughs> the iPhone came along and Nokia didn't adapt to the smartphone model. Yeah. And, uh, but, but they, they're kind of they still exist, but only in the sense of like cellular it's, network. No, the Nokia networks, yeah, right. true. Mm. Yeah, and then was there another one else? Was there another company that's that was big? Oh, the other industry was paper. Paper. Yeah, it's and, still very important. Yeah, and it actually, like around the paper industry, there is like a lot of very 
um, remarkable revolution going on at the moment. There is like one mill, very old one and very traditional that made like complete chains now. And they are producing um, uh, these cups that you can recycle for, for fast food, for example. And they, they have been negotiating with McDonald's and all very, very huge chains because this eventually will happen at some point that uh, the the use of plastic just needs to be restricted and they are trying to offer a solution how does how the recycling look like in finland because i remember in germany there's like all these different bins they're famous for having all these different bins for different kind like different colors of glass yeah well it's very uh, yeah i would say it's quite close to the german model i would say germans are the world leading recycles at the moment but finland is not far behind mm -hmm. yeah so i was talking about um the condition of individuality in the systems where everyone seems to want to be equal and then not stand out mm -hmm. and what's the how do you see it like that because in in the states it's it's i think there is still a problem of individuality because I mean, people want to conform. People mm. want to be like everybody else. Uh, but is it, it? It might be a bit more acute in in these these countries. Or I, I noticed that in Denmark, for example, everyone dresses the same, mm. and then they and they don't. They even want to look the same mm. and not stand out in that way. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I also think it comes back to that we are like kind of remotely located and very small nation and like even like if you go 20 years back the opportunities like um because there was no, there was never like enough perking per casing power to provide like all the things you know you can find from us or something because like so that the market is too small so yeah it comes back to obviously there i think it's like there's the two sides of it so the one is that like when you are like just surrounded with this small group of people like people start to kind of do the same things and look the same and like sure. yeah so but also i would say that obviously um it's like what what people appreciate in the culture is like it's it's kind of like um like uh it, it would be something harmful in people's mind if you it, if you try to be do different you know you're kind of like um, um, splitting the harmony in a way. But does, isn't yeah. that, uh, is there some sort of psychological harm to doing that? Because the, then you just, your identity gets tied to a, the collective mm -hmm. and then maybe, uh, but there's, there's this, there's this attitude in the society to mm -hmm. create to create and engineer a happy society. Yeah. So what what is this happiness if mm. uh, if everyone has to be the same? I, I I at the same time I would also argue that it's not that simple because also the idea of the society is to create an atmosphere and opportunities to do your thing. So you can there, actually I would say Finland is quite tolerant in the end when it comes to different people. And, um, and like nobody should be excluded from the society. So that's the key point. So basically, um, 
it's very easy to pe- belong to a minority in Finland or like because everybody is kind of tolerated in the end. Um, but I think that's also th- there's like a two aspects of the, this, this discussion. So because Finland itself isn't so diverse. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah, that's true compared to other cultures. But I don't. The, for example, okay, that's something that came to my mind. Um, for example, um, we don't have a lot of, for example, um, religious people, and like re- we don't have this kind of moral codes. I feel like in the societies where, for example, religion is big part of the or this, like these traditions are very strong in the culture. They also tolerate less people who stand out from that same. Right. Like yeah, you a, have so to like, conform to this. Yeah. This set of ideals. Yeah. So in that in that sense, I would say Finland tolerates um, individuals much more than some other societies, because uh, you you don't have to belong. Like if you want to be religious, you can be, but like nobody cares. <laughs> so. Um, and for example, like, um, that's also very a uh, big part and important part that like, um, um, in, in the school, like, um, actually it's surprising that like, um, everybody needs to study religion, but like you can choose which religion. <laughs> so if like, if you are Muslim, you study Islam. If you are a Christian, you study Christianity. If you don't belong to church, you study uh, still religion, but like you study all religions. And like, it's like, a, and at the same time, for example, um, in the school, like they try to promote um like as much diversity as possible. And that also means that if you speak Chinese as your native language, and I think if there is more than three people who, who also speak Chinese, they have to organize Chinese lessons for these kids. So uh, for like language lessons? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes. So everybody can study their native language. Okay. So they really try to promote this diverse society, and in that way, I would I wouldn't say we everybody is the same. That's interesting. I never heard. Uh, I never knew like all that. All these efforts to yeah. to to make uh, concessions. I guess. Yeah. That's, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but the original point, I guess, was if. If if we are too homogeneous, no, or like... I mean, I mean, like if uh, this this goes because I'm reminded of something that Carl Jung used to talk about the the way that modern society suppresses the individual and the sort of things that the individual can achieve. But the way that you're describing it is people can because of their this Finnish con- or Nordic conception of freedom mm. is that <clears throat> once you have this uh once needs are met mm. from there you can jump to yeah. any sort of yeah uh things yeah that, and i mean like if, if you think about it like you you're from us but you have a, a Taiwanese background if you would have uh, been in the finnish school uh it, you probably could read and write in chinese yeah Oh, that's so sad for me because. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm thinking of that because I 
can't. I can't. Yeah. They didn't teach it to me. Yeah. Uh, and and in in Finland, we think that it's richness to to know and like like embrace your culture, or background, and heritage. So um, I would say the future of Finland is actually promoting a lot of individuality in that sense. <laughs> Yeah, that's very different from a lot of um, a lot of thinkers or the discussions that I, I I hear in recent times. You have to preface it that Finland is a very safe bubble, mm, <laughs> yeah. but uh, a lot of the things that I hear is like the um, the inherent superiority of Western culture. For example, there's something special about mm. Western culture. And I think it's 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 true, and it it also extends to Finland in the sense that this uh, sort of uh, embracing of diversity, embracing of different points of view, is only possible in the development of Western culture to come to this level where you can do you 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 have you make that a, a an. Uh, value to mm. to embrace other cultures where if you go to any a lot of other cultures they're not so tolerant of mm. these cultures so yeah. so in the one sense it it yes western culture is very special in that way but on the other hand um it's not just like oh, a total rejection of mm. of these uh everywhere everyone else's culture yeah so uh, what it, it this comes back to the point what i tried to emphasize before that the idea of the welfare society is to serve people to um, express themselves, like be who they are, like uh, like like offer opportunities. So it's not it's not about making everybody similar, but actually like making everybody have the possibility to do what they want. Yeah, and this also goes back to the idea of basic mm. income, universal yeah. basic income. I was listening to a different podcast where the uh, people have been, you know, just they've been discussing the idea of basic income. But one of the things that it provides is, imagine for someone who I'm thinking about in the United States who just can't get by. They they're unemployed and they they live in an environment of danger of mm -hmm. not being able to have enough. Uh, they're in this poverty danger zone where they don't have enough to eat and they're in this like situation where everyone else around them is like that and then people get violent mm. but if everyone had uh had just the basics covered then that would provide the 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 springboard to, mm. to, to go do other things and that's an interesting idea but the the devil's advocate in me would say that it would be it could be disastrous for an economy because then you the way i i think that the prices would go up and then everyone would be equally as poor again because you wouldn't have the, the you don't have the purchasing power mm. the money no longer mm. buys enough and that's the same thing with uh with with minimum wage mm. um the big problem i see when when it sounds nice to have a minimum wage but I, I fear that uh, there's an artificial, because it's a it's a centrally planned uh, uh, price of labor, mm. then uh, it artificially uh, props up and uh, increases 
the price of goods. Mm. And so then if you make, let's say, $15 an hour uh, and then bread becomes more expensive, then you're just as poor as you were before. Mm. So that's, I, I mean, every kind of action when it comes to, for example, economic or it's balancing between you have to measure it all the time you have to think about the total cost and effects um i wanted to change to there you mentioned the, the, the other day you went and told a story mm -hmm. and and i said oh, do you remember i uh, know you, mm -hmm. you went to some event and they like everyone was telling stories and you went up and told a story and yes. i said i said oh like i don't tell me now i'll wait till the podcast is yeah. recording <laughs> like what was the story okay um this is not completely related to our topic at no, the it's, moment it's not, yeah we don't, we don't uh, plan topics yeah. here <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I joined to this event because I was very curious. Uh, I saw the event on Facebook and it was called Storytelling Evening and was organized by Rotsla International um, Speaker Society. And um, I just want to go to see how, what kind of event it is and like what people do there. So we went there uh, with two of my friends and um, and then there, there were a lot of like, it was good atmosphere, a lot of international people and every single person who wanted to participate, they had seven minutes of time to tell a story. And they had a topic for each story. And the topic was an unexpected meeting. And, um, and after listening some stories, um, I felt like, ah, oh, I, I do want to participate. I do want to tell a story as well. And I spontaneously, spontaneously uh, decided to tell a story that is very strongly related to my own life. And the story was that um, I am this um, unlucky girl who was born in the late July. And unfortunately, because of this fact, I never really had a birthday. And um, I've been a little bit sad about this fact because when i was a child like my parents really tried to make an effort they they wrote like these cards and invitations for my friends to join my my birthday in a late july and that was the time before social media so obviously we were just hoping that everybody comes because like there was no fast way to tell like if you can join or not but uh, the last week of July is the main holiday season in Finland and everybody is away. Everybody's traveling, nobody's around. So this happened many years in a row that I was always inviting my friends to come to my birthday, but nobody came. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was quite sad. And I remember um, I was old enough to understand how much effort my parents put for this birthday. So I've, I remember when I felt deep inside, I felt very sad, but I, I was thinking I need to fake and look happy so that my parents wouldn't be disappointed. Uh -huh. <laughs> and after some time, my parents just decided that like, let's just like celebrate my birthday in a theme park with the family because like, it doesn't make sense to in invite all the people who never comes. And uh, so I never ended up to have a real birthday. Then I was hoping that this will change when I get older. 
but unfortunately now it's the main holiday season still and that means that every single person wants to get married on that day mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so i have been in many weddings when i had a birthday and and it's always somebody's else celebration <laughs> so um I was partly telling this joke about that I'd never had a birthday in my life, uh, which was partly true. And um, then two of my really lovely friends decided that I need to have a birthday. So they were organizing this fake birthday for me. It was it was last October and um, they made this whole cover up story and everything. And I finally arrived to my own flat and they invited everyone. And I had a no clue before, and it was completely a surprise. Um, I, I had a lot of good time there and it ended up to, there was like um, a lot of people I also didn't know, a lot of like friends of friends. And I ended up to have this long discussion with this one guy who was also from Finland. And I was so surprised that I found another person in Poland from Finland. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I took a little bit too much wine on that day. So the next day, I remembered that there was a guy from Finland and I, I spoke a long time with him, but I had no clue what we have, what we were talking about. <laughs> And I was a little bit sad because I wanted to find him and I was like thinking that um, it would be nice to organize um, a celebration for Finland since Finland is turning 100 years this year. Mm. Yeah, so it's going to be a big celebration back home. So I really want to organize something also here. What day would that be? That's 6th of December. 6th of December. Yeah. That's soon. That's very soon. And that's why I really wanted to find this guy. But unfortunately, I couldn't remember his name. Luckily, though, uh, my friend Michelle uh, decided before the party that um, she was keeping this like a guest book. That she made everybody. everybody, I forgot about that till just now. (laughs) She made everybody write their names on the guest book and their nationality. So I I ended up to find this guy's name from the guest book, and then I found him from Facebook, and uh, and I sent him a message. um, uh, Actually, when we were in this event of uh, storytelling, uh, I asked if he wants to join. And he was there and I, I concluded my story that uh, I'm very happy to be here because now I can finally get to know this person because I have absolutely no idea who he is, <laughs> even though we had this long discussion. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how uh, things uh, that you, you notice these results from things that you had no control of. Yeah. Uh, earlier in your life or even before you were born like yeah. your, like your birthday um and then you you get this result in life yeah. uh, and it's just it's it's exactly how it was supposed to be yeah exactly yeah, like uh this like the guest book yeah michelle wasn't thinking that you need no. to find somebody no but she just says like oh it'd be nice if everybody writes their nationality yeah and yeah, one of the examples for me would be uh when i was studying in berlin um that everyone became friends to, uh and it was it, it all depended on your last name because the it was 150 students and they they split the group into in, in half 
So, and all the activities, all the traveling, all the like uh, trips and what class you were in, uh, you were doing those activities with only half of the group. Yeah. And so this half, they knew each other really well. Yeah. That half knew each other really well. And as far as I understood, there wasn't that much, there was less interaction as I saw between yeah. the two groups. So like just amazing experiences with people and uh, it would never have happened if the, yeah. our last names were different. Yeah. And that's just so weird. It's, it, it's pure it, luck. It has yeah. to do with it has to do with like the way language works, the way uh, uh, your I don't know because we don't have uh, Roman letters in Chinese, but just the way that it's phonetically spelled. Yeah, I have a C for the first letter of my last name, and so I'm in this half of the group. I could have easily <laughs> been in that half if language is different. Yeah, that's really cool. So we've come up on our time, mm -hmm. and uh, and and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. It was very interesting and a lot of fun.